0: Welcome to Golf Cask and our new sit down interview series called Whiskey Made Me Say It. We will interview the most interesting and humorous golfers, whiskey makers, and enthusiasts and enjoy their perspective on life. Sit back and enjoy Whiskey Made Me Say It. Welcome everybody to Golf Cast. this is Brian Bailey here bringing you a uh, Whiskey Made Me Save episode and we have a special guest. We have Mark Turner coming in from Virginia and he is representing Lost Whiskey. Mark, how are you doing today?
1: Great, Brian. Thanks for inviting
0: us. Uh, love to have you and uh, can you give us just a little bit of background about you before we dive into our, playing our front nine? <laughs>
1: what to say. I, I was born in Wyoming on a dude ranch and near Jackson Hole. So I grew up kind of mud on my boots and building forts. My dad got appointed here when I was in high school. So I moved back to Virginia when I was in high school. I met my wife here and we have an architecture design build firm, which was kind of the foundation for the whiskey. But we, we are residents in our facilities and operations are here in Northern Virginia.
0: Awesome. And uh- So uh, for me, I discovered Lost in June. Uh, I did the Charlottesville Whiskey Expo. The Virginia Expo came to uh, Charlottesville. And my wife and I were making the rounds and we're like, Lost, never heard of these guys. We went over there. My wife loved the weeded, uh, your your high wheat. And then I actually had your cask rye. And I was like oh goodness gracious who are you where have you been and why have i not heard of you before right now Uh, so that was my introduction and since then i have been accumulating bottles uh, of your product and i have been sharing with friends uh, all my different bourbon heads uh, and they all ask the same question who are these guys where are they at and where do i get more of this
1: yeah, they get so, good whiskey. You. The owners are a bunch of assholes. Is that what you tell them. Um,
0: <laughs> well, aren't we all <laughs> when it comes right down to it? But uh, so well, we appreciate the, the following, <laughs> and
1: we look forward to. Yeah, thanks for following us and following up with this. So we're we're excited to share our story and. Uh, yeah.
0: All right, so so give us kind of your 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 origin story. Where did loss become come from? Where did you? How did you decide to get into whiskey? And, you know, just kind of what what catapulted you into this into this career?
1: You know, like all good things, it just kind of happened by effing around Uh, my partner, Nick, who I've worked with for pushing 20 years. so You'll meet at the end of this podcast. uh, uh, Great guy, former Marine, and he and I always love bourbon we both have been in the design build world for most of our career so he's a true craftsman of all sorts of wood and steel and just a good solid bloke Uh, but we always our christmas parties were always just a big bourbon exchange so we said why don't we're a service business on the design build front obviously and we love what we do but we always wanted to commoditize kind of our philosophies and principles so we thought man why don't we start a bourbon company and that way we can tell our story of architecture and craftsmen and have a product we can sell while we don't have to do a service. So that was kind of the genesis of the thing. We were getting a little burnout on the service side on some of the fronts, but um, so that's kind of just a harebrained idea. He had a good friend that was in the business, uh, pretty prominent uh, distiller, who's our kind of our guru on the on the whiskey front, because we didn't kind of know what the hell we were doing at first, still don't in a lot of ways. but. So that's how it started. Uh, The brand itself is is meant to celebrate kind of the art of gathering. So we put, you know, a pretty emphasis on, you know, the bourbon. We want to make sure our bourbon is good and it's drinkable. And we try to keep it simple, but we put a really heavy emphasis on the experience. And I think with any alcohol or gathering, you know, the experience is equally, if not more valuable than, than just the bourbon itself. So each of our bottles has a leather strap with a special number. We only do single barrel. You know, we want you to save that leather. So if you have a really good day or evening with your old man or wife or f- friends and family, you know, save that piece of leather and really marinate on the experience. Um, and so the, the rewarding thing from us is from, we've got, and I can show you some images here, but we get pictures from all around the world of people, man, this was a great day. And, you know, it's not just about the bourbon, it's about the experience. And that's to us as architecture and craftsmen is really the, you know, we, we argue that there's probably nothing more valuable in our lives monetarily or physically or philosophically or spiritually than, than our time and our story. So, uh,
0: yeah. Well, I think that fits in great with golf. It's the same way. When you go, you know, you golf, you can, you can play competitive golf and, and, and live and die by and you know kind of a score by what the results but most of us play golf it's more for the camaraderie the experience and again you might not remember what the scores were shot but you'll remember so and so just topped it into the river and hit the marker and it came back and hit them and and those, again those those lasting memories of what just happened much more than uh than a score alone so uh, definitely i can see the you know this is kind of how i tied golf and whiskey together when i first started this the same kind of thing i was just fucking around uh, and i was like doing a lot of research on whiskey because of covid <laughs> i was stuck in the house uh, so uh, i started to see kind of these kind of these parallel tracks with the camaraderie the craftsmanship the artistry uh, so i think again uh, that's why i think whiskey and golf fuse so well together at least in my crazy brain uh, so uh on top of this, so you talked about architecture playing a big role in, in your career. How is that architecture kind of translated into the lost brand?
1: You know, um, I think there's a lot of, I and mean, I was excited to talk to you today because I'm I'm not a good golfer, but I love it for the same reasons maybe you do and many others do. And uh, there's probably some philosophical tenets here that I can geek out on. So All right. um, if you let me share my screen here, let me see if I can pull it up. Can you see my screen? Yeah. All right. So you're going to have to just bear with me on this because I'm uh, a little bit of a nerd when it comes to – I was a philosophy major, so just take me with a grain of salt. So.
0: I, I'm i a nerd. I own a golf data science company as well, so <laughs> trust me. I, I will nerd out with the best of them. All
1: right. Well, give me five minutes to give this feel. We give this uh, a lot, but we really truly believe in it. So this is a inflection curve. Obviously, we have an exponential hitting a, a red dot and going to a – to a, a logarithm. And I think, you know, we're in a time in history right now. I think we're kind of at this inflection point, good, bad or, or worse. And I think, so let me go back here. Sorry. So I'll just ramble through this real quick, but this is why I think it's important to this conversation and, and hopefully golf and whiskey kind of tie into the end here. But so, you know, world population growth is a it's clearly an exponential curve. It's going straight up. GDP growth, which everyone's chasing this curve chart with stock markets, the consumption of fossil fuels, straight up carbon output by countries, straight up, it's all exponential. This is food prices. We all know that commodity prices are going through the roof, debt, national, personal payouts on people that build homes you know, in climate areas internet use which is interesting you know with the world just now starting to catch on with the internet and this global consumption of knowledge Uh, and then if you're providing a product on this growth curve like apple or twitter you know instagram you're crushing it right because you're on this curve and everyone's kind of chasing this curve blindly Uh, do you see companies like uh, that are being rewarded heavily for this curve Uh, and then you also have this weird and this certainly ties into modern day what's going on, but you have a lot of, and this is obviously subjective, but you know, very happy places in the world and very unhappy places in the world. So you have this potential, you know, potential for all these things to converge and not necessarily a good way of seeing now play on the world stage. So, you know, ISIS use of Twitter, this was back in the day, but they were able to use, you know, social media for 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 not good. So so the, the math behind exponential curves is if it's growing at 10%, it's going to double every seven years. So this is the rule of 70, right? So anything that's a 10% or you can just do the math. So it's Y, the X. So just to put things in, you know, this is a lake where I'm from Jackson Lake. It's got 770 billion gallons of water. If you use incremental, which is a normal growth curve, it's only like one barrel. If you take one bucket and then the next day take two buckets and three buckets, you know, this source will last 2.1 billion years, which is, you know, uh, if we do it incrementally, it's 3,400 years. If we do it exponentially, which is 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, it only lasts 40 days. And then if you add the entire, all the water in the world, all the oceans, how long does it last on exponential curve? It only lasts 28 days. So these law numbers are really like just staggering to get your head around when things are on exponential curve. So, what I think is interesting now, and this is why it ties into whiskey and golf. And I promise I'll bring this home, hopefully. But you got an exponential curve. The inverse of that is a logarithm curve, which is a natural curve. So anything that's natural, biomimicry with animals or following nature or you know, analog stuff, it, that's what bends that curve. So that red dot is kind of, I think we're at that inflection point. So people now are, are fucking craving anything that's real. Craft beer, craft food. I think that's why podcasts are so you know, popular now because people are just craving this long format conversation. Uh, and so I think whiskey, bourbon, golf are all these things that are kind of bending that curve and they always will. And that's why people are gravitating towards them. So if you look for what, this is a Harvard study, what's being consumed right now and it's the highest thing right now is a demand for simplicity. Uh, so putting your phone down, having a real... Th- Testing mast with your, with your mates on the golf course, um, you know, we don't even know it, but I think subconsciously we're everyone's, there's a nerve ending that's very deep right now. And maybe the deepest it's ever been. So, you know, there's a lot of studies that outside magazines done on like forest bathing, just going out and sitting underneath the tree, what it does to you. Biologically, it like totally changes your physical makeup. Just, just the sitting down at a base of a tree and the, the Japanese are really into this forest bathing thing. They'll, they'll pay like golf course, rates like four or $500 an hour just to go sit in these forests, which is crazy, right? Um, You know, this guy was a doctor who wrote a book about how important it is for kids to be in the woods. You know, I got teenage daughters and sons and that, you know, unfortunately this is their life. A lot of it, they're kind of head down with great artwork around them, but they're all looking at their phones. That's right. This was a book written in the seventies about architecture, how important architecture is, but it's also the importance of taverns and coffee shops. So the age of enlightenment a lot of it came after the these coffee shops and taverns were in europe so this ability to banter and talk with people uh, over a pint or a glass of whiskey really important culturally um, so harvard has done a bunch of studies on happiness and it's all based on being your relationships they've done a long study for like 80 years and they basically come to the conclusion it doesn't matter how smart you are or how rich you are your happiness is really the, the, the biggest correlations with community and friendship. So on the golf front, which I'm a big fan of, these are my, my buds from Wyoming uh, and we have an annual golf uh, outing. It's called the, uh, the mule tournament. So the guy in the middle is Eddie. He's an old rancher, a great guy, but he's really good at carving. So he carved this mule out of this fence post or not a fence, a big log. You can see it, me holding it because I won the damn thing this year. Uh, so whoever wins the, the tournament it's and we play poker and, and play one day uh, there is a fair amount of drinking and and shit talking but it's a like we think all year about this one day and winning this damn mule so and you get a brand mule on its ass if you win it and so it's like it's our green jacket um, if you lose it if you're the loser of the, the you have to take home this uh, velvet painting of this naked lady and you have to put it up in your house so you get a brand uh, we call her candy so you don't well my dad said, that's what the loser gets. Like, <laughs> that <was> a, right. <laughs> so anyhow, I think wrapping it back to bourbon and, and whiskey, I just think that we're in a moment in time that in our branding is time to tap into this inflection curve of what I think people are really craving right now. And I think if you look at what golf does, I think it, it fits that pedigree really well. So we, we do a lot of research into this and, and, and the science of flow. Have you heard about this? like the military is big on this stuff, but having people form at their optimal level, I and mean, you basically got to forget about time and anxiety, and you're totally focused into the task at hand and your brain operates at a much higher level. A lot of athletes do this. So on the far spectrum, if you're sleeping, you're very unproductive. If you have a lot of anxiety about surf on the right side, you're also unproductive. So what social media does to us and news cycles and just general anxiety also is not good. So you have these two spectrums. And if you can find the middle of just complete focus and you forget about time and space, you can optimize your. So I think when I'm playing golf, even though I'm not really good, I'm totally focused. I'm focused to my buddies. I don't look at my phone. I'm trying to, you know, make the next shot. And so it focuses that. And I think a good conversation, I think a good conversation with whiskey, I think it all ties into the science of flow. So anyhow, I'll stop my share here for now. Actually, let me do this. Sorry. Do you want me to shut up or is this boring? Yeah, no,
0: keep going, man. I'm, I'm, yeah. If you want to talk flow states, uh, I've been a, a performance coach in golf for a lot of years now. I coach collegially at the university of Virginia. Uh, I, I work with some tour players and things along that line. So uh, yeah, that I agree. I agree Man, we're kindred spirits as i'm watching your slideshow i'm like man i we talk about this every day inside of our my subgroup of coaches and and again i think the golf industry is the same way we we went through this technological boom with track mans and radar systems uh, 3d body tracking systems we get to see how the body moves and what we learned is the body can move you can hit a draw and you can move the body thousands of different ways to create that exact same shot so us trying to quantify all this into one model, it just doesn't exist. It's it's the craftsman, it's the artist, understanding what they do, go do it. And and again, I think the same thing, the golf industry is kind of in that inflection as well. I had a podcast not too long ago with a high-end coach and we talked about gone are the days of, of what has been done for the last 20, 30 years inside of coaching, that it's all changing. We're going back more towards technology and all is great but you've got to be able to just go play the game and enjoy the game and understand the game so i love it i mean you're you hooked me
1: <laughs> well let me finish this and we can talk about more of the whiskey stuff but uh, yeah I, I totally agree and my son's really getting into golf now so i'd love to talk to you more about that offline but anyhow so this there's a lodge we had kind of built in our head for a long time but this is our speakeasy lodge that's lost whiskey so it's a six bedroom place up on a mountain and so we're trying to connect the dots of man, if you were to design a place and you want to have like the greatest night of your life with your with your family or friends, you know, how do you design a house to that? So this house has a glass pool that's made out of a sea container. It's got this Argentinian grill here, six bedrooms up top that are kind of looking at this view shed. Then we have this epic, uh, you know, we look down, this is Lost Mountain. So this is yeah. a Mount George Washington bought to retire on. That's what the brand's named after. But, he, he you know, George Washington surveyed most of Virginia. And he picked this mountain here to retire on. And then he became president and he had to sell the mountain. So we looked down a lost mountain. That's where the, the name comes from. But the idea is that you have a place you can come and play music and cook over open fires and have these really long dinners, uh, curated experiences. And then we have people, I'm just random shots here, but people around the world that are sharing images of where they've had their loss. But this is the, uh, the pool. We have some whiskey barrels up there, but the, the lodge, is heavy on steel and concrete and all the furniture we built ourselves. So this is a big cherry table. It's floated there. This is whiskey barrels that we did with the big brass that's so meant for really curated, uh, you know, folks and smiles. So we've, we've had a lot of fun events up there and people go up there and say, man, that, that night was just special. So these are pictures of people that have done cool stuff with our stuff around the world. So um, this was us at the masters, my son, there's a lost hat there and there's tiger warming up. Um love it. It's when he want it. That's my son fell in love with golf, is going to the masters. And you know, that masters is the same thing. They they do such a good job of taking care of people in a I would say a genuine logarithmic way with no technology and just the the courtesy that people extend. So it's just a perfect example of golf and this curve we're talking about. Yeah. So these are just pictures of just us and architecture and uh any yeah, I'll stop sharing and There you
0: go. Uh, No problem. No, I think, uh, yeah, like I said, I think, I do think the world is kind of at that point where I I say the world's always on a flat curve and I I really think, you know, politically we're kind of in the late (laughs) seventies kind (laughs) of in that, that seems like, but I think, I think a lot of us are are reaching for the fifties again, kind of that mom and pop smaller smaller brands the you know again the craft beer the you know the the smaller distilleries and newer distilleries trying to find the story more so than the cheap bottle that they can buy at any warehouse system so i i definitely see that and again those parallels go with golf i think golf hit a boom they started making really bad golf courses (laughs) just making boom building you know uh, neighborhoods around them thinking and you know just bad golf courses but they wanted to be on a housing community and most of those have failed uh, because it the golf course didn't have the story and the traditions and again it's i always say fishermen uh, whiskey drinkers and golfers all love to tell a good story so if you're not tying into the story aspect uh, you're, you're missing the boat on 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 the uh, on the masses so uh, i think that's cool the architecture side is, is really interesting and if you ever need a uh, help with performance side uh, i have a business partner uh, in ireland his name is gareth McShay. He's gareth uh, He's spent the last 20 years working on performance, human performance, especially on the golf side, but he does a lot of corporate stuff. But he talks about flow states, how to get in and out. And I've learned a ton from the uh, the sciences of the brain. Uh, we'll, we'll bring him in. He's coming in in December. I'll, maybe we'll make, if you guys are available, maybe we'll run up for a quick visit. Uh, good dude, Irish, loves his whiskey too. So uh, Often whiskey, but, uh, both have rich traditions. They strike a balance between... The tradition of, you know, both whiskey and golf started basically in Europe, kind of on the islands, and then kind of grew from that. So, how are you all bridging the traditions of whiskey making, as well as some of the newer technologies inside of uh, creating a great uh, distilling?
1: Well, I don't. We're we're trying to find, you know, the old guard. I think one of the things that we're we're trying to bring the table that we're uh, our bottles are. You have one there behind you, so I appreciate that. They're 375 bottles, so they're meant to be consumed hopefully in an evening responsibly and uh, and kind of throw away the cork kind of idea. Not that you can't do that with a 750, but that's a little different animal altogether. More um, people. More people necessary. Exactly. <laughs> so we we're trying to curate the experience, but in terms of the old guard, you know, it's interesting. I think I think the there was two types of whiskey, right? There was scotch and irish whiskey and then you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think the irish spent spelt it with an e
0: right yeah, yeah. the irish spell with the e and the, the scotch uh or the, yeah the scots do not put an e in yeah
1: so we we originally were without an e in america and then the, you know the, with all the irish immigrants coming over the e definitely won out so we kind of took our cues from the irish side i think american least but i think when you talk about whiskey and then bourbon particularly it's it's american right legally it's only can be made in america just like scotch in scotland but there's something truly american about taking these crafts that the europeans you know gave to us and then americans are putting a load their own spin on it um, so we are only bourbon we only do bourbons um, and you know we age our stuff anywhere from five to ten years we only do single barrel And we just came out with a cast strength, which is, you know, straight out of the barrel. So uh, the products we use, we only use a high rye and a high wheat, but they're both bourbon. So our rye is not as sharp and kind of smoky as a pure like rye whiskey. Um, And we try to, the only way you can tell the difference on our bottles is red antlers is rye and yellow antlers is gold. And we have a 90 proof and a 120 proof. And we're about to release a double barrel 10 year uh, this fall, which we're excited about. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I do have my rye. I do have my wheat and then I have my casks over there and Rye's wheat as well. Uh, we're, we're hosting a golf, a fun golf event in December. So, uh, I've been jockeying around with the ABC laws they've been, it's been really fun working with them. Uh, needless to say, we're going to have a friend party on Sunday after everything's done. And all these will be broken open and shared, right? Of- uh, it's going to be here in Charlottesville. We're uh, going to play birdwood. On Saturday, then we're gonna go to two of the local distilleries, uh, Ragged Branch and uh, Virginia Distilling Company. Saturday afternoon, then we're gonna come back and play golf again on Sunday, and then we're gonna have an after party here at the Speakeasy at my house, invite everybody that's playing in it, and uh, it's gonna be a good time. Uh, we're gonna call it Irons and Oak, and we're we're uh, we're trying to make it a a yearly event in Virginia, uh, just because the home state and giving love to the Virginia distilleries. And then we're going to do one in Ireland. I'm actually, next weekend, I'm, I'll be in Ireland for six straight days uh, working, uh, drinking whiskeys, a bunch of single malts, and playing a bunch of golf courses. And we want to take the same principle over to Ireland in 2024. Um, and then with goals of making another event going over to Scotland, maybe in 25, and then try to keep running these uh, year after year. Uh, so we're trying to find... Golfers that love golf, that love whiskey and kind of want to create a small group that will, will travel around the state and actually will actually travel around the world, maybe even get to Japan one day and uh, play golf, enjoy good spirits and more so enjoy the, the memories of what we're doing. So uh, that, that's what we're creating, or at least that's what my goal inside of Golf Cask is. It's really more of trying to get a group of, of like-minded people together that go to play golf and enjoy a good spirit.
1: I assume all my invitations are in the mail, right, Brian? Do what? All my invitations for this good stuff is
0: in the mail. Yes, yes. You are invited to all of them. Uh, the, the The fun part is that my wife just looked at me and she goes, you're really trying to tell me that you're going to be working for a week in Ireland? I, well, technically it is. Now, I am following up some, with some coaching in England for about three days after that to hopefully pay for most of it. Uh, but yeah, so it's going uh, to be a lot of fun. And, and again, like you said, it's... Uh, to me you know as i'm getting older I've, I've crested the 50 i'm on that downhill slide now and my you know i have two older daughters and then a son that's kind of in high school that plays golf now and you know that i enjoy the that part of it now so much more my son and i play golf every weekend together uh, and, and again starting to just peel back what's important Is and your like son i said in high school? do what
1: Is your son in high school or?
0: Yeah, yeah. He's a sophomore this year, Uh, started playing golf during COVID, didn't want to do anything with golf. Dad's a golf coach, wanted to do absolutely nothing with golf until COVID where we were stuck in the house for, you know, two years, basically in Charlottesville, they kept the schools closed almost for two years. Uh, So we we live on six acres. We have a, like a, you know, about 150 yard shot in the yard. We put a pin down. And we just started hitting balls. Every afternoon, we just go out and start hitting balls. And, and since then, he's absolutely fallen in love with it. Uh, so, yeah. So, we, we like I said, we try to play golf together every weekend. And, and he doesn't know it. He hasn't beat me yet. Uh, he's starting to shoot in the upper 70s. He hasn't beaten me yet when we've played head-to-head. We've tied a couple times. But he doesn't know how much fun I'm having and the memories I'm taking from this. You know, he's determined to beat me and i'm a shit talker and a dad and i i remind him every day that he hasn't beaten me yet but but again the, these are the memories that i'll i'll never forget even though i'm sure he'll you know he'll he'll spin his stories later in the future but again it's that camaraderie and i always come to find out into the night after the big golf match i'm at home and then I you know i have a, you know a dram of something and just talking about what happened during the day so again the tie-ins with whiskey and golf are for me are, are inescapable so, uh,
1: my son is also a sophomore and no, it was similar my golf my son was like into it but then he went to the masters and he's just been following golf and now he's like he's truly in love with it and then you know my wife gives us more hall passes now because we'll go out and and play and we just love the banter back and forth he is beating me now actually but uh, he just loves it and it's such a gift for me to pass on to him and to He's playing with the tournament next week with us and our friends, and so I want him to see the banter and the shit talking and the—that's
0: what it's about.
1: Collegiality of just grown men having fun playing a playing a game.
0: You know, back in the eighteen hundreds, you guys were around a campfire trying to find game. Now it's we're playing a game, but it, it's that same banter, and that—that's the part that is the most fun. And and my son has finally learned to trash talk a little bit. I have to give him credit. he's, he's really starting to hone his game. In the beginning, he was kind of awestruck because same thing. I bring in friends all the time and we're playing. And he's had the good fortune to play with a couple of tour players and, and things like that. And they talk more smack than anybody. And he's just sitting there going. He was kind of like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe this is being said. But now he's. It's almost. No, I thought to- about
1: this. I think it's almost a crime as a dad not to teach your kid that it's, a, it's like arithmetic or like in the grown world. If you don't have that shit talking game, it's yeah. a long path. So it's it's a gift you know, there's obviously limits and, and boundaries to it, but I, I totally agree with you on that front.
0: So Yeah, and I, I gave him my number one comeback for in history. I, I was a golf coach in North Carolina, and I had a, the baseball coach's office was right next to me. He was a good old boy. And uh, I was talking with him one afternoon, and, and we said something, and he goes, you know, he goes, I, I kind of made a smart-ass remark to him, and he, he looked at me dead in the eye and goes, you know what, I've been called worse by better. So I've been called worse by better. So anybody comes at you and attacks you, you hit them with that line. They're like, "Oh man, that's painful." So I taught my son that one. I go, "This is your, this is your when it, when you're losing control of the situation, you throw this one out and you can reframe the entire argument."
1: That's a pretty good <laughs> one. I remember that. Our favorite is when someone says, "Man, if I just would have stayed out of the bunker, I would have got a you know a par there or something like that." It's always, "If I just would have you know." <laughs> and uh, I've taught him the line. That's true. And if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle.
0: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. If aunts and butts were beer and nuts, we'd all have a party. (laughs) They're all the, (laughs) no, I agree. I think, but again, I think to me, that is, you know, that, that is the kinship and the brotherhood and and, on the men's side, you know, I think is really, I think is a part of that's kind of in today's society is not looked down upon, but it's not really highlighted anymore. But I think, having the group of guys, like you said, with your big golf event, you know, and, and having a trophy and, 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 you know, depending on, you know, some trophies, I've, I have another buddy that they play for a toilet bowl. So the worst, the worst golfer gets the toilet bowl, has to take that home. And then the following year, then whoever loses the tournament again. So they reward the worst player. Uh, but, but a lot of those concepts again is like, and, and it just makes you tougher if you can stand on the tee box and they're just talking smack about you and you, you pipe one down the middle, you're just like, Keep it up, boys. Keep it up. It's going to be a long day.
1: Well, golf is, you know, not to get metaphorical, but golf is like life and it's, it's fucking hard. Right. And you can take your lumps. And if you don't have like a somewhat of a humor about it and a muscle, that's going to stand up to it, then you're going to get your ass kicked in all fronts outside of golf and in golf. So it's, it's, it's a good barometer for a lot of things, obviously. So
0: no, I, I, yeah, my, I, my son looks at me all the time because goes, why did I pick this game? It's so frustrating. I'm like, look, you're shooting in the upper seventies. You're better than 95% of all golfers in the world right now. Does in he want condition- to play at college? college? He wants to now, he, you know, he didn't really think about it. So our goal now is uh, we're really working hard, um, to try to get him to the point, like not division one. I. I don't think he'll get that good that fast, but. If he can start posting low, mid to low seventies, he can definitely play maybe small division one or definitely division two, division three. Uh, if You can, as a, as a male, if you can kind of shoot mid mid seventies, you, you can go play college golf somewhere, you know, it might be a division three school or a division two school, but there are opportunities. So uh, yeah, he kind of set the goal uh, about four or five months ago that I want to play collegiately now. And I'm like, well, we know all the data, this is what it looks like. So we kind of have our, our board where we put up what's important, what we're working on now, and, and we just put points of emphasis right there. And, and we, we're, again, just trying to move him in the right direction. Uh, so it's, it's fun, like I said, and, and more than anything, golf, like you said, is life. It's, it's setting goals, it's, it's you finding time to do what you need to do to get to where you wanna go. So a lot of life skills inside of golf. And as a father, I appreciate that, but more so, I appreciate the fact that he loves the game and he's getting better at it. And it's just, for me, I I can ask, uh, my father was a golfer. I wasn't until college. I didn't really play golf until I went to college. And then, you know, I kind of look back now going, God, there were a lot of years where I could have been playing golf with my father that I didn't, you know. Now, when I got out, you know, we started playing as he got older. And so we did have, you know, five, seven good years together playing golf, but there was a lot of years that I, I missed out because golf wasn't cool. Golf was whatever. I was playing football and baseball and all these other sports. So, But, yeah, to me, golf, there is no harder, there is no harder game on earth than golf. People laugh and think hitting a baseball is very hard. Yes, but uh, you can hide in baseball. Uh, you can't hide in golf. There's nowhere to hide. It's just you standing there with a little white ball laughing at you. <laughs> and there's, there's nowhere, you can't put you in right field, you know, you can't be intentionally walked. Uh, you, you've just got to be able to go apply thousands of different skill sets, thousands of different skills to be able to move a ball around a golf course. Uh, so I, I really appreciate anybody that tackles this endeavor. It, it's a tough one. I life. also think
1: it's, and our, our kids all played sports competitively. My wife actually played EVA soccer, so we're a pretty big sports family. And our kids are all good athletes, thanks to the mom side. Uh, but watching my son play golf last year, he was a freshman on the Bishop O'Connell team. Uh, it's the most nerve wracking because you're not judged by how hard you play or if you did you catch a ball, or you have one score and it's yeah. every shot counts. And you know, people say they shoot in the mid 90s, but not in competitive golf, you don't, because every shot counts. But yeah. everything it's everything counts. Boy, but the nerves as a dad, holy shit, man. Yeah. It's,
0: yeah I, I would definitely say it's harder for a, a parent to watch and and, uh, and i always told my son on the golf course i'm just dad don't look for like i'm not giving you swing advice i'm not giving you anything other than i'm gonna applaud when it's good and i'm gonna be like when it's bad i'll just be like uh but you know i try to keep a pretty straight face i, I got him a coach uh, someone outside of me uh, to listen to therefore i can be dad but yeah i mean it's nerve wracking. i was a college coach forever, so. Man, nerve-wracking in golf and watching scores change hole by hole. And, you know, we went from winning a national championship to finishing fourth in a matter of eight minutes. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of those components just shifts and flow and tide of the game. So, again, teaches patience, teaches, you know, more times than not, it teaches you to fail. You know, golf is, you fail a lot. Um, whether it's if you're playing competitively, you're going to lose you know, there's 150 golfers, only one's going to win. So 149 are losing. Uh, so it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of humbling and understanding it's hard, but when it's good, it's so good. When it's kind it's of like good, whiskey, it's just... right?
1: If you've ever started a whiskey company, I'm sure everyone that we every bottle behind you has a story of failure, right? It takes, Yeah. it's hard to like figure that. And a lot of it's, some of it's luck, some of it's skill, some of it's just stick to it this and waking up in the morning and, putting your big boy pants on, but there's a, you know, starting any business, but certainly a whiskey business, it's, there's more failures I would say than successes. And over time, hopefully if you have a continuity to your story and brand, it it pays off, but it's a lot of getting kicked in the teeth
0: um, on a daily basis. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, let's jump in through here, make sure I hit most of these questions where we've gotten sidetracked, which I love Uh, questions are just kind of a, a, a flow of where, where we could go. Give me a good memory or a moment uh, when you started this and just that kind of stands out to you like, wow, we really got lucky there. Man, we screwed the pooch on that one. Or, you know, what what was that one moment where you're like, man, would never have saw this coming as we started this uh, whiskey business?
1: Well, that's a good question. Well, Nick and I, we got into this, uh, probably the the big first fumble out of the gates. uh, was we said, let's start a whiskey company, but we need to have friends and family kind of kick in for barrels. So we were buying barrels and selling them at like for like less than a thousand, which if anybody knows barrel prices now and what they cost for a good bottle, I mean, we were just like so foolish in our initial pricing. So we had a lot of friends and family take us up on that offer, and we still owe a lot of these friends and family their <laughs> prorated share of their investment. But uh, we totally didn't understand the pricing of whiskey when we started, we didn't understand all the taxes. and excise taxes and what Uncle Sam and Virginia ABC take out of your pocket. it's it's kind of maddening. so we we definitely came out and were sobered by the reality of the, of the what you actually make on these things and all that bullshit regulations wise. Uh, on the positive side, I would say Nick and I just did this tour with Virginia Spirits where you know they have all the distillers in Virginia. You know, I would argue Virginia was the first state in the America to make whiskey. George Washington, when he died, he was the largest distiller. So I think Virginia's got a really strong history. I know Kentucky and Tennessee like to claim top status, but Virginia has no shakes. So anyway, 30 of the distillers get together and you just went to an event here. I and mean, that's where we met in Charlottesville. But um, we're competing against some really established brands and great whiskey brands, uh, distilleries around the state. Nick and I show up with a beat up truck and not very polished branding. And we just showed up with this thing, not thinking much and then it's a, we didn't realize it was a voting thing so we showed up in richmond and uh, at the end of the day our tally came in we were first place in charlottesville and then we went to richmond and took first place there and then the most recent one in fairfax we took first and that was really rewarding because nick and i put a lot of heart and soul in this that's a true litmus test on popular vote it wasn't a rigged kind of thing and there's thousands of votes cast and the guy who ran the thing said it wasn't even close so we it wasn't just about the whiskey. It's about the experience of people sharing our love of story and, and this kind of this analog thing we've been talking about from the beginning and how we approach it. And that was really satisfying because Nick and I honestly are flying this plane as we go. So to get that validation was really, you know, ranked arguably the number one Virginia bourbon currently Um, it's really satisfying. And we, we just love seeing people engage in the brand in a very organic way, if that makes any sense in a real way.
0: And I can testify because in Charlottesville, I was like, "Well, I'm going to give you my tickets," and you guys are like, "What are those?" <laughs> I can actually <laughs> testify. I was like, "You guys are like, what is that about?" I was like, "I love you guys." <laughs> yeah, I think we,
1: yeah, we definitely probably upset the apple on some of those sellers, but uh, we've also met a lot of good people in the industry, you know? and yeah, the
0: guy who runs those
1: is great. He puts on a really nice event.
0: All right, so looking, we kind of talked about this. Uh, you kind of hit on this in the, a little bit earlier, but kind of where, where are you looking with loss going in the future and new products, new kind of, where do you see the brand going?
1: You know, we're in some really interesting talks with some folks right now um, that are really interested in the growth of this thing. We've always kind of purposely throttled back our growth and uh, just because our bandwidth and, you know, you got to be planning on five years out with this product, obviously. So you got to kind of project where you're going to be. And we didn't think things would go this well this soon. So we're, We're trying to figure out, I think we're we're really focused on the Virginia market. We're Maryland, DC. We're in Delaware, New York, Wyoming, where I'm from, but we're trying not to grow too quickly, too nationally. We're really trying to focus on this DMV area and this East Coast and really kind of make a name for ourselves here. So we are not going to release a bunch of different products. I think some of the mistakes other distillers make is they just, they dilute their own brand by too many product offerings. So we really try to keep it simple on our end and do what we do well. And I don't, I think people kind of get lost in music sometimes with too many brands out there and stuff's on the shelf. So uh, we're gonna purposely kind of pull the reins back on what we offer and our growth just to make sure that the, and I also think there's some business logic to scarcity because everyone wants what they can't get.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, there's a couple distillers that nail that. <laughs> I guess. Uh, let's see here. Advice. Uh, I guess if you were to get, if somebody came to you and said, "Hey, me and my buddy, we're looking at creating our own distillery whiskey uh, brand. What advice would you give them?" As as kind of what you've learned, and then uh, yeah, w- what what experience and life lessons could you teach them?
1: Uh, you can maybe tell them not to do it. Uh- but no, it's been rewarding and I, I would cherish anybody to get into the business. I think we chose a different path or a typical path, but you can either make your own, distill it, uh, buy your pot stills and and do it yourself, or you can source it. And it's a contested thing in, in the market. Uh, we chose to go one path. I think there's merits to both, frankly, uh, and reasons for both. But uh, you got to make a decision on that early and look at the financial projections because it's it's a bit of a cash game and a, and a time game, right? It's not like a widget you can just crank more out of. So you kind of got to balance that upfront yeah. cost with quality and, and inventory.
0: Nice. And then, uh, so uh, that kind of covers the, 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 front nine, I guess kind of, we'll, we'll kind of hit you with two questions here at the end, kind of fun bonus questions. Uh, what is your favorite lost cocktail? So uh, w- Drinking it neat is spectacular, but if you, what is your go-to cocktail uh, using a, the the Lost brand?
1: Well, we do two signature. We do more, but there are two are our, our most famous ones, and it depends on the season. We're in uh, old-fashioned season now, so a smoky old-fashioned is my favorite for the fall uh, and through the winter. I just love a good old-fashioned. Um, yeah. In the summertime when it's hotter out, we we do a, vis- a version of the Rye Ricky, uh, which is okay. a take off of the Gin Ricky, which um, is all fresh limes. We try to keep the sugar content low on our cocktails and do all fresh ingredients the best we can. And that's it. Uh, we can send you the link on that, but it's a cool story. It's a, named after this famous lobbyist, Joe Ricky, who fought on both sides of the civil war. And it's the cocktail, official cocktail of Washington, DC. So we did a spin on that called the the Rye Ricky. So uh, we can uh, cook up uh, an old fashioned and show you how we do it. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Any more questions. So,
0: yeah, and I guess the the other one I always liked because you, you do enjoy the spirit. So final, final question would be before we dive into our cocktail here is if you could pull any whiskey off the shelf, you are at the world's bar and there is every whiskey that has ever been produced. What bottle would you pour and where would you want to enjoy that?
1: It's uh, An easy one for me. I don't know if you follow the Ernest Shackleton story. Mm-hmm. So they took a bunch of whiskey on that adventure in Antarctica and they built this cabin and they hid the whiskey underneath the clapboards. And so that whiskey has been sitting there for, I don't know how old that story is, but it's very old. And they just discovered it not too long ago and they're trying to recreate it. But to share some of Ernest Shackleton's whiskey with my friends and family would be my pick.
0: That's awesome. That's a good one. (laughs) That's a good one. All right. So, uh I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch you make your cocktail, and I'll actually pour here just your normal rye bottle, and I'll enjoy a dram as you're producing uh, your, your uh, old-fashioned. And I'm a huge old-fashioned fan, so uh, take it yeah. away. Can you hear me? Okay, I'll try to
1: convert it so you guys can see what the hell's going on. All yeah. Right. All right. How does that look, Ryan? Can you see what the hell is going on there?
0: Wait, yeah, turn. I can see everything. Perfect. Right.
1: So the reason why we're passionate about old fashions, because, you know, it's arguably the world's oldest cocktail, early 1800s. So America, this is maybe our greatest export was the invention of the cocktails in general, but particularly the old fashioned. So uh, lots of different ways to make it, but a couple of key ingredients. And just a quick side story. I never liked old fashions growing up. But I found my grandparents who lived in Florida, uh, too young or two old Irish, kind of shorter, full of piss and vinegar. Every evening at five o'clock, he would put on a coat and tie and she would put on a dress and they would sit on their front porch, holding hands, drinking an old fashioned. And they, this was their religion, the way to connect with each other. So these two old uh, man and wife every night dress up on their own porch and drink an old fashioned you know, it breaks tears in my eye now because, you know, what a great thing to do. With That's the a lineup. great story. So this is to my <laughs> Nini and Papa, Frank and uh, Catherine Brady. Uh, are looking down on us. Anyhow,
0: uh, let me get some ice real quick. Yeah. And just uh, so you guys know it, that their high rye is spectacular. I'm a huge rye fan. You guys know this. that have listened to any of my podcasts in the past. So. Their high rye whiskey is spectacular. Not the biggest weeded fan. My wife loves the weeded version, but I definitely uh, love the rye side. All right, so we do use the high rye for most of our cocktails because rye, we
1: tend to, so it's the Red Antlers. This is the 90 proof. All right, so a few cubes. The way we do ours is a smoked, um, and then we can talk about the ingredients to go into it, but let's first smoke. And this is a barrel head that we have right here. So this is an actual barrel head of white oak that we had on. So we burn that and use that as our char. Um, gotcha. We got a few butane torch here, so we'll uh, make sure you can see this.
0: Oh, what a good idea with barrel.
1: All right, so we'll let that fill the smoke. We do it this way because it infuses the glass more we just let it sit Yeah. And then make the cocktail go side and then we pour it in later. We don't do it from the top because I don't think it infuses as well. And it's cooler to do it on a, the original barrel. So ingredients, uh, really important on the ingredients. Uh, we think rye bourbon is the best, any kind of rye bourbon, but for ours, obviously. So we'll go with the ounce and a half, a little heavy. All right, so we start there. Um, I would say the most important ingredient is the cherries. So I'm gonna I got two cherries here, obviously. Um, this is a three dollar bottle of cherries, marcianos that are total crap. It's all sugar, and if they're yeah. the right ones, don't use these, they're terrible. Spend the extra money. This is probably 20 they're $30. This is the Marciano cherries, which as you know is the glass of all cherries and cherries don't skimp on the cherries Just spend the extra money, get the Marcianos and uh, you'll be happy you did. So don't, don't use those bright red cherries they They suck. So I got to go with two cherries and a little bit of syrup. then a little spoonful of the, of the good nectar of the gods here. All right. So the Marcianos there, we've partnered with a local company that does a, uh, bitters these are cherry bitters okay alchemy and a twist you guys can check these guys out but they're local and uh, they make really good bitters so uh, you know a couple droplets of the bitters Uh, simple syrup we try to keep the sugar content low we like the agave syrup so it's just a little bit softer so we use agave not too much of it we don't like our cocktails too sweet Uh, and the two other twists we do these are dried arriondo cherry or uh, peppers. So okay, I don't have a spice in my cocktails. So I just take one of these and just crack it open and let the seeds and the thing go down into it. What will happen is over time, when you drink this thing. The last few sips will be have quite a good kick to them. So some people don't like spice in their drinks. We tend to like spicy drinks. Um, so we'll mix that up. And the last component is we'll shave a little orange rind here. Orange shrines have oils on them, and, and when you spritz it, it's just a nice little flavor. So, we'll take this cocktail, pour it in the smoke, give it a little twist here, and then get that stuff on the edge here and dollop it in, and a smoky, spicy, old fashioned.
0: It's a logic. <laughs> This has been a fuel production.